The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, open your Bibles, if you will, uh, to Exodus uh, chapter 4. We're going to continue walking through. Last week I began um, this long passage from chapter 3, verse 9, all the way through chapter 4, verse 17. And uh, we were looking at the excuses that Moses gives to God when God calls him to go and to bring the people out of Egypt. And after all of, um, after all of what God has said to Moses, Moses' fears should have been removed. I mean, he should have been the most unafraid guy on the planet at that moment. Even though he's standing there talking to a burning bush, he still should be very much unafraid at what God's calling him to do. Because after all, in, uh, in verse 8 of chapter 3, God told him that he, not Moses, but that God himself would be the one that he would indeed go and deliver his people out of Egypt. That it was a done deal. That it was a settled account. But in verse 9 and verse 10 is where it got personal for Moses. And Moses becomes very much afraid. Instead of looking at, at God and trusting him, Mo, Moses began to focus on himself. And he, um, he tried to get out of, out of um, going and being the deliverer by offering these excuses that um, I said to you last week, many of us have probably used these same excuses. We've probably offered God excuses just like this. And uh, Moses offers them here, and what I want, what I desperately think we need, is not for us as a people, when we talk about the Great Commission and, and, uh, and going and evangelizing and taking the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations, I don't want you to walk away saying, oh yeah, I can, I can, I can identify with Moses there. That helps me so much to identify, to know that I'm not the only one who offers these excuses. That's not the point of this passage. I don't want you walking away feeling comfortable about your excuse and your sin because Moses did it as well. What I want you to walk away with is hearing God's answer to Moses and God's call to Moses even in light of his sinfulness and his excuses. And we too are called to be witnesses to the gospel to the nations. So last time we, uh, we looked at the first two excuses. Moses, the first one he gave was, but God, I've failed in the past. And God's answer was, Moses, I'll be with you. Moses, I'm the one they're going to be worshiping in the end. It's not your life that's going to make the difference in their lives. It's mine. It's, it's the message of the gospel. I'll be with you. Don't worry about your past failures. I'm going with you. Moses' second excuse was, well, God, I don't know enough. I don't even know who to tell them you are. And many of us have said the same thing. God, I don't, I don't know enough. I'm afraid if I went and talked to that person or to that group, I wouldn't know. Can you imagine being where, where Matt is and going to a people that you don't even know the language and, and going for four months? Are, are you comfortable that in four months you can learn this language? Probably not, right? And probably all of us, there are language barriers and social barriers and intellectual barriers with people that we come into contact with and we would say things like I don't know enough what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to to which God said Moses I'll give you everything you need I'll tell you what to say I'm going to take you along every step of the plan don't worry about it third excuse that we'll look at today we, we haven't covered this one we may only get to this one who knows we may not get to the rest of the, the, rest of the other two, but uh, 
Third is this. Moses said, they'll only reject me. They'll only reject me. So let's look at this passage together before we finish walking through this together. Chapter 4, verse 1 of Exodus. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. Now right there, everybody in the room is saying, Amen. Right? I got a stick in my hand. I throw it on the ground. It becomes a snake. I'm running too. Right? Moses runs from it. But the Lord, verse 4, said, Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And I imagine at that point, Moses looked at the bush and said, Do what? (laughs) So he put out his hand and he caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the ground, on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But Moses said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. When the anger, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad, he, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Now the first, or the third excuse really here in this conversation with God that Moses is having is, they'll only reject me, God. They won't believe me. They, they'll say, the Lord didn't come to you. Too many, uh, too many people never share their faith because they're afraid of rejection. Has that ever happened to you? You just don't want to put yourself out there because you feel like if I do, they're not going to listen. They'll only reject me. This is not something that that is true only in middle school or high school or college. This is also true in adulthood in the workplace. This goes on and on. We're afraid of being rejected, and too many people perhaps are, are never comfortable sharing their faith because they're afraid they'll be rejected. There are probably some people that we're more comfortable talking to Some people we look at and we feel like, well, maybe we're superior to them. 
We, we have a leg up on them. Or maybe we're not, we don't feel a need to impress them, so we feel a little more at ease about talking to them about the gospel. But there are some people that are smarter than us, that uh, at our, they're, they're cooler than us, they're higher on the social ladder than us, and we're afraid. We just stay in our shell. We think that there are some targets that are easier, and we can talk to them, but the reality is God's called us to speak. God's called us to be witnesses for Him. We get paralyzed with fear, this fear of rejection, and we just don't do anything. Sometimes we get paralyzed with fear of being rejected by people we don't even know. I mean, people we'll never see again. We're, we're afraid to speak to them. Well, I, as, I, as I thought about this, and I thought about what Moses is going through, I asked the question, why is that? Why do we get so overcome with fear of being rejected that it just shuts us down and we don't share our faith with, with anyone? Well, I think there's at least a couple reasons. I think number one is we get too nearsighted. We get too nearsighted in the fact that we focus on the here and the now instead of on the coming kingdom of God in Christ. We, we, we get too focused on our social status here or our, on our comfort here that we don't want to be rejected by the people that we have put on a pedestal and think that their opinion matters so greatly. And in, in reality, there is a king who's on his throne now that will one day usher in a, a, a kingdom where he brings the new heavens to be with us and he lives with us forever. And the opinion of those that we were so afraid of won't matter anymore. And we get too nearsighted thinking about this is the only life that matters. The other way we get nearsighted is we get focused on ourself. We get focused on what we think is best for us instead of what they really need. Or on the fact that God is worthy of not just our worship, but theirs too. This is huge. This should be paradigm shifting for us is that when you look at the person who works in the cubicle across from you or who rides a bus with you or who sits in third period with you, God is worthy of their worship. He's worthy of the worship of, of the prostitute who finds no other way to provide for her family other than to, to give herself out. God is worthy of the worship of every single person on the planet who has ever walked or who ever will walk and breathe and live. Our God is, is worthy of their worship. And we get too nearsighted when we think, I don't know, I just don't think I could share with them because what if they reject me? What if they don't like me? What if I make them uncomfortable? The reality is God's worthy of their worship. We don't, I think another reason is we, not only do we get nearsighted, but we don't share for fear of rejection because we don't really believe God. If you take this whole passage into, in, into account, look at the whole passage in its context, what's wrong? What's the real root issue of what's wrong with this excuse from Moses? They'll reject me. Well, what's wrong is the fact that God has just told him not only that God would be the one that he would indeed bring them out, but he had gotten more specific than that, and God had actually told Moses, they will listen to you. Well, what does Moses say here? They won't listen to me. God had just said, they will listen to you. Moses says, they won't listen to me. 
See, the reality is that the real problem here is not just this, this fact that Moses is comfortable with sheep and out in Midian, and he just doesn't want to give all this luxury up. The reality is he doesn't believe God. And I have to ask you a question today. is When you and I don't share our faith for fear of being rejected, could it possibly be because we, at the root of it, don't take God at His Word? We don't believe God. I mean, if God had just told Moses they will listen to you, Moses here is calling God a liar. John Piper, on a sermon on this passage, said, all unbelief in the promises of God says to God, you're a liar. All disobedience, which comes from unbelief, is a vote of no confidence in God Almighty. And I would submit to you that when you and I hear the Great Commission and hear God call us to the nations and to our neighborhoods and to our co-workers and to our family and to our friends, and when we shrink back from that and don't share the gospel, we're saying to God, I don't really believe you. You say, well, I don't know, Pastor, if I really buy that. Well, let me make my case a little stronger. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11, God said, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, I know here in that passage, which maybe you memorized it as, the Word of God shall not return void. I know this is talking about the decreed will of God. And it's not necessarily talking about the words of the gospel that come out of our mouths. But isn't it the decreed will of God that you and I would go and take the gospel and speak the words of the gospel? And so in some way, this is indeed talking about the same thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18-19, through Paul told them and tells us by proxy, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And so when God says to us, listen, go, Be my witnesses. Tell the nations. And when you and I shrink back and say, oh, they won't listen to us, we're calling God a liar. We're saying to God, I don't really believe God. And so I ask you the question today, church, do we really believe God? Are we a church that says God is going to redeem a people out of every tribe and every tongue for His glory He is going to do it through the preaching of His people who He's given the ministry of reconciliation and therefore we will share where God's placed us. Or are we going to say, I don't think God really meant that. I mean, it's a different day and age. I mean, it's a dangerous place now. You go to places like India and, you know, you don't know. You go to places in the world and you just don't know. You go across the street now and try to share the gospel and you just don't know they might reject me. And I just can't help but wonder, are we saying to God, God, I don't really believe you. Oh God, I'm, I'm, thank you, I'm, I'm thankful that you have saved me. 
but God, I don't know that you're going to really save anybody else, so I'm just going to keep it to myself. See, the reality is sometimes our words will be rejected. I mean, I would be lying to you if I stood up here and told you, go to your neighbor and watch, and they'll just think that you are wonderful, and they will call you blessed, and they will you just rain down praises on your head. They will give you things as you're leaving their house for bringing them this good news. The reality is sometimes you will share with people, and they will cuss you out and throw things at you and never want to see you again. I've stood there in, in a Russian community in, in New York City, in, in the underbelly of New York City, and tried to share in broken phrases of Russian, trying to give out the copies of the Gospel of Mark, and said, God bless you, and have a man turn after he walked a few steps, saw what I gave him, and turn and throw it back at my face and cuss me out. I've stood with a pastor on the streets of Columbia when he tried to hand a simple gospel tract to a man walking down the street and have this man turn and threaten violence against this man. We read every day in parts of this world where pastors boldly standing for their faith and saying, I'll pastor this church, I'll preach the gospel here, only to have them lose their heads and their lives. To have buildings burned to the ground. And to have another step up from their midst and say, I'll take his place. And in America, we say, oh, they, they might not like me. Sometimes our words will, will be rejected. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul spoke to the intellectually elite there at the Areopagus, he, he said to them, he preached the gospel to them, and here was their response. Acts chapter 17, 32-34. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Here's the reality that we can count on in 2015 as blood-bought, spirit-filled believers who take the message of the gospel wherever we live, work, and play and are sent, we can count on the fact that sometimes people will mock. Sometimes they will be intrigued and some will believe. And I can say to Matt and Brittany, when you go to India, this will be the case there. This will be the case in Greenville. This is what happened to Jesus. Some mocked Jesus, but some believed. Some were intrigued and followed him further, only to still walk away. Others followed further and eventually followed him on. The reality is, sometimes our words will be rejected, but nevertheless, we are called to speak. That's all that we are responsible for. When Moses here is worried that I won't be able to convince them, I won't be able to persuade them, God's answer to him is, hey Moses, I didn't ask you to. Moses, I just told you to go. I just told you to speak to Pharaoh and to the elders of Israel and that eventually you would bring the people out. I didn't tell you to go and convince them. I didn't tell, tell you that you had to work up this grand sermon that would be so persuading and so convincing that they would all just turn and follow you, Moses. 
Instead, what, what God said to Moses said, Moses, what's that in your hand? Um, it's a walking stick. Throw it on the ground, Moses. It becomes a snake. Yeah, catch it by the tail, Moses. Are you sure about this, God? Catch it by the tail, Moses. It becomes a stick again. Moses, take your hand and put it inside your cloak. It's leprous. Moses, put your hand back inside your cloak again. It's restored again. Moses, you don't have to convince them. I'm going to persuade them. I'll persuade the elders. I'll persuade Pharaoh in such a way that you will leave and you will not leave empty-handed. They will give you gold and clothing as you leave. But Moses, your job is not to convince or persuade. That's my job. And if they won't believe, the, the staff that becomes a snake and the hand that becomes leprous and not again, you will take water from the Nile and you will pour it on dry ground and it will become blood before them. God said, Moses, you don't have to convince them because that's my job. In doing this, in doing this, God was displaying to Moses his power over Egypt. I mean, you think about the pictures that you've seen of the Pharaoh and the head headgear that they would wear. What was what was that headgear often shaped as? A snake, right? God is saying to the greatest to, to Moses, to the greatest snake in the land, I have power over him. When Moses puts his hand inside and it comes out leprous, then he puts it back and it becomes clean again. God is saying to Moses, Moses, I'm going to display my power through all sorts of power over health and science and everything that you know. When God said to Moses, Moses, you will take up water from the Nile and you will pour it and it will become blood. The Nile was, was the God, really, in Egypt. And Pharaoh was the God, but, but the Nile, everyone knew the Nile was vital to life. It's still vital to this day. If you go to Google and you look at a Google image right now of, of Egypt, you will see wasteland, but you will see this sliver of green. And it follows the Nile. And they knew that the Nile was so vital to life. And what God is saying to Moses is, Moses, their very life source is in my hands. And I will turn it to death in a heartbeat. You don't have to be the one to convince them because that's my job. And church, hear me. You're going to people who right now are dead in their sin. Who do not want to hear that they are sinners who do not want to hear that they stand guilty before God. But in their hearts, they know it. They know they're condemned. They know they have offended a God even though they don't know Him. And some, when you come to them and you preach to them, your sin condemns you, but there is good news. God didn't leave you there. He sent His Son to die in your place so that you might take His perfect obedience and have it applied to your account. 
and that he would take your disobedience and your guilt and your shame and he would take it upon himself so that you might be right with God and have no shame and no guilt and that you would live with him forever because Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead, defeating it forever. And one day he's coming again that we might live with him. Some will say, ha, you really believe that in 2015? Are you kidding me? You're one of those closed-minded bigots. And others will quietly say, sounds too good to be true. But what if it is true? And others will be prepared by the Spirit of God when the Word of God comes through your mouth and they will gloriously move from death to life. Not in any power of your own, but they will move there by the power of the one who controls the power of the snake and over health and over the life of Egypt itself. When we sing this morning, He is mighty to save. Do we believe it? When you've got a coworker that you're a little bit afraid of, do you believe that they are nothing in comparison to Him? Do you believe what the Bible says that one day every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow before Him? And every one of those tongues will stammer and say, You're God. You're holy. You're, you're worthy. Do we believe that? If we believe that, then we don't have an option. We don't have an option to hide behind our position on the ladder. Yeah, I, I believe that He's ultimately worthy of all the praise of all people, but if I speak to them, I might back up a couple of rungs, and I'm in my senior year, and I don't know that I can afford that. I mean, I've just got this promotion Things are going well, and we've just bought this house, and I don't know that I could afford to jeopardize what I have. And I listened to Eric teach this morning, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Are we going to hold on to the things that we consider to be supremely valuable and still claim that we believe He is infinitely, supremely more valuable than anything we could ever give our life to? See, the reality is you can't do both. You're like that proverbial monkey who wants the, the fruit inside the coconut, but he won't let go of it to release his hand and the hunters come and capture him and kill him. Are we willing to let go of what we think is so valuable, our pride, our reputation, our possessions, whatever the case may be, to say, He is infinitely more valuable than anything else I could have in my life. I will go across the street, or I will go to the nations. Or will we hide behind this excuse with Moses and say, oh, they'll, they'll ultimately just reject me. Church, it is high time. I'm not going to go on to the other 
two excuses today, but it is high time that we stop making these excuses. And we hear God say to us, I've asked you to go. I've asked you to speak. Leave the rest to me. Church, let's stop making excuses. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you that you love us. Lord, I thank you that, that when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses and we were cut off from you and weren't inclined towards you at all, that God, you looked on us in our helpless state and you saved us. From beginning to end, you have saved us. You didn't do it in such a way that you called us to pull ourselves up and walk to you, but you came to us. And God, now you're you're still going to others. But God, you're doing so through the mouths and the tongues of your people. And so God, I pray that we would be more than bold in this room. That we would also be bold and winsome and gracious when we leave this place. God, that you might cause us to see that we're in the positions we are. We work where we work. We live where we live. Not by accident, but because you have placed us there. That in so many of these cases, God, with so many of these people, we're your plan to reach them. God, give us faith. Give us boldness. Work in spite of us, God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to give you an opportunity to, to think about what's been said, to, to wrestle with what God's calling you to out of this. I don't want to leave you on a note of no grace because I, I want to be real frank and honest with you that all of us struggle with this. It doesn't, it doesn't come natural to me. I don't naturally work the gospel into the conversation. I sometimes shrink back in fear just like you do. And there is mercy and grace at the foot of the cross and forgiveness for those times of weakness. But that is no excuse for continuing to live there. Don't walk away saying, oh yeah, I can identify with Moses on that one. That helps me so much. Instead, hear the answer of God. Saving is not your job. It's mine. Just be my witness. Whatever it is God's called you to today, be obedient. I'll be seated down here on the front. Love for you to come talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. Love to lead you to the Lord. There'll be people in a prayer room out these doors that would love, to just brothers and sisters, just love to uh, hear your prayer request and, and just to go before the throne of God with you. If this is the church where you believe God's leading you to, come, let's talk. Whatever it is, be obedient to Him. Let's worship our God. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.